All right. Well, listen, I'm looking forward to today's conversation with Brendan Kumasari because he's got something to share that I really feel is in that unlocking and stepping into your superpower vein, which is the last quote from our intro that my friend Brandon Brittingham drops on us. I'll always keep it there no matter if we edit that intro or not, because I think it's one of the one of the more profound things that I've heard about being humble, but also being very confident in what your superpower is. So Brendan, welcome to the show. We're going to talk all about what you do today and that unlocking of superpower that you help people do through the form of communication and speaking. Welcome to the show, my friend. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, I was, you know, we rescheduled this show. You had some, uh, some, I believe it was a trip with the family come up. I'm like, oh, I was so excited to have Brendan on, but you know, here we are. Uh, good things come, great things come to those who wait. So, uh, so here we are today. And, you know, as I was thinking this morning about how to kind of lead our show off, um, you know, cause we're not a uh, type of show where we just like start record mid conversation. I actually, you know, put some thought into, into what we do and the production value of what we do. So our viewers and listeners, uh, have a good experience. You know, I think for me, I could pose this question to you. So there's times, there's times I feel as a leader as though I'm speaking a different language, right? I might be passionate about idea, an idea. Uh, there might be a time of conflict. And like, I know words are coming out of my mouth. I know they're English words and I know people are receiving them here and speak English as well. But it seems like we're just on a different page entirely. So what's happening in that moment that you see from a high level for leaders that just kind of creates that disconnect? Absolutely, Jeff. Great question. You know, the way that I see this is it goes back to what my definition of communication is, which is simply this. How do we convey an idea in a way that achieves a specific outcome for a specific audience. And that audience could be a group of 100 people or it could be convincing your significant other that we should have Mexican food tonight and not Chinese food. So it's all about the specific outcomes versus the specific audiences that we're speaking to. And building on that definition, Jeff, there's three parts to successful communication. And what your question really tackles is the first piece. Are people listening to your ideas? Are people taking action on your ideas? And are people sharing your ideas with others? So whenever we fix communication, that's the difference between comms and effective comms. When we get into that effective category, it's about saying why and taking that step back. Why aren't they listening to my ideas? Why aren't they listening to what I'm sharing with the world? And that often comes through a slew of questions that I would encourage leaders to ask more to the people they want to serve. Simple questions, right? Questions like, if you were in my shoes, how would you communicate my ideas differently? If you had to remove one part of my speech, what would you remove and why that I got from Kevin Sisterum? And then the third question is, if you were to introduce me to somebody who could help me build on these ideas further so I can share them more effectively, who would you introduce me to and why? And these are the questions that we don't ask enough. I appreciate that. That makes me think I'm kind of like thinking, wow, maybe I have been just uh, handling this uh, the wrong way and, and certainly can improve, which is one thing as a leader I'm always looking to do for the businesses that I have, the people that I work with. Um, so I guess like as a second part to that question, 
is it, it do leader, do people who are trying to communicate, you don't always have to be a leader to communicate. You could be a parent, you could be a spouse, like you said. Is there a moment where people are confusing confidence in themselves and in the idea and maybe the goal to where that confusion they're trying to convey, again, makes the person listening, they're trying to impart this on, just tune out? Is that is there such a thing as confusing the confidence of the idea, the confidence of their position to where it just breaks down the communication? Right, Jeff. You know, you know the way I think about it is that also comes down to the questions that we're asking people. Because if we're asking effective questions, it's really easy for us to figure out whether something is landing or isn't landing. Let's use sales as a simple analogy. The best way that I sell products and services, to keep it quite simple, that applies to the teams that we manage at work as well as leaders, is I ask the people already sold to, how can I sell people like them better? That's it. Like, what, what value did you get out of what I did? In your words, what was the outcome? And then they tell you, you go, huh, I never would explain my product or service that way. So what? how does that analogy apply into companies? So if you're a leader in an organization, whether you're the entrepreneur or whether you're just a senior level executive and operator, the biggest thing that you can do is in town hall meetings, when you're updating your team, what I find really fascinating is most of these leaders just pick their own agenda. They don't actually go back to their top 10 employees or even the total group of employees and just say, what do you think we should talk about? What do you feel is missing in this town hall that I should be covering? And then they just give you a bunch of ideas and you go, huh, like I never thought about that. That's a great idea. Why don't we do that instead? So it's about transferring the power of ownership, of control that we have as leaders and realizing that leadership at the end of the day is delegating that control as often as possible so that we can do more higher value tasks that no one else can do within the org. Yeah, I mean, one of the things, that's that's a very, very good point. One of the things in my retail business that I co-own that we're really, we're in a growth phase on 100%. Um, and it's a positive growth phase, but it's it's also painful at the same time. Uh, but yeah, leadership is that transference of responsibility, of duty, of, of control, as you said. Um, love that. And when it comes down to it, uh, for me, um, that shift, that's what I call for the people that I work with. I call that like the shift into the investor seat. You call it working at a higher level, I believe you said. And that is, I think, where a lot of leaders, business owners miss the mark. They get so stuck in the doing, right? Which then leads them to speaking about their products, their services, what they do in this way that moves it from what you shared, like in a town hall meeting. Well, what am I missing? You know, what would you talk about if you were up here? Which is that what's in it for me equation that I think so many people get away from, right? They just, they want to talk about time in the market, tenure in the market, their level of service, you know, uh, all of these features, but they move away from benefit and they really move away from emotion of bringing people in to the cause, to the effort, to the product or service. Anything to expand on that point? I completely agree, Jeff. It's really this idea of, sure, we can sound smart, but if it's not leading to the right objectives or the outcomes that we're looking for, then the communication falls flat. That's why my definition of communication, Jeff, is how do we convey an idea in a way that achieves a specific outcome for a specific audience? So let's say in that context... 
your goal is to make a hundred grand from a speech, like off of sales or something from your product or service, and you land 52. 52 is good, but it's not hitting the mark. So why is there a gap? So we need to analyze that gap through questions, through surveying, through really paying attention to the people we want to serve so that we can address those gaps up front. And the key to, to how to do this more practically is to figure out those objections before they even come up in any context, whether it's in the context of sales, whether it's in the context of leadership, or really even the context of vision. Where are we taking this company in the next three to five years? And what are some of the objectives or rather objections that people in my organization will have for me? And how do I prepare for those objections in advance so that I still have the same calmness and collectiveness of the leader who's, who's bringing that organization towards that vision? Makes perfect sense. And I think for people listening, they might rewind that last two minutes and play it back maybe four or five times or more. Because uh, what you just laid out, really, what in the example you shared, uh, you take that out across a handful of talks throughout the year, that's $100,000 worth of advice and sales minimum. Uh, and who knows the customers that are within those sales that you missed by not rewinding the tape the last couple of minutes who knows who those customers become? Maybe they become your best raving fan, right? Like that's the thing as a business owner for me that drives me that really, I was about to say insane, but really what it does is it propels me to always be looking for these slight edge improvements, these little mini innovations, these little tweaks of the knob, the dial uh, to always, always improve uh, the, the customer experience. Um, because I believe experience is so paramount no matter what you're selling yourself your services your products um, your advice the the experience of it is so important um i often when i give talks i like to use the art of which is why art show title here today is the art of communication because i think when you look at what art is it's something it's this tangible object um or auditory experience music as an example that moves you in a way emotionally and that connection to emotion equals a transaction of some sorts, whether that's time, whether that's dollars, um, whether that's bringing somebody onto your team. It's that art of something that really matters. And when I think when we can tap into that, it becomes really powerful, almost superpower-like, right? So there's a handful of things you talk about often about that you talk often about. And, and I want you to share with everybody why these things are so important to you. It's, it's your, like how you share ideas, um, how people can communicate those ideas concisely, and really how they lead people um, around that idea, maybe through a meeting or a presentation of sorts. So let's kind of dig into that. I'll let you kind of peel the layers back on those three things. If you kind of forget what I dropped out there, I've got the notes in front of me, so it's okay. You're all good, Jeff. Absolutely. <laughs> so here, here's the way I think about this. Communication is like juggling 18 balls at the same time. One of those balls is body language. One of them is storytelling. One of them is facial expression, smiling, vocal tone variety. And it can get really confusing for people really quickly, Jeff. That's why the perspective I've always had as a professional in this space is what are the three easiest balls that anyone should be juggling before they move on to anything else? And these are what I call my easy threes. So let's cover them one at a time so I don't monologue too long here. So let's start with ball number one. 
the random word exercise. Pick a random word, like trophy case, like master, like screen, like haircut, and create random presentations out of thin air for 60 seconds. Why is this relevant? Two reasons, Jeff. The first one is that it helps you think on your feet. It helps you deal with uncertainty. That's what the random word exercise allows you to do. And the other reason that I tell my people this all the time, if you can make sense out of nonsense, you can make sense out of anything. So if you talk about avocados, when you go back into your business, it's really easy to deal with the uncertain environments because even if they're constantly changing, they're always around the same product, services, and industry. So it becomes a lot easier to manage. Yeah, I really like that exercise. I think that's... You know, for anybody that sells in a face-to-face environment, you know, whether that's across a Zoom screen, whether that's uh, uh, in a retail store, uh, a business-to-business setting, I love that exercise. Create that sixty-second presentation on a haircut. I thought for a second you were going to you were going to give us one on avocados for a second. I mean, I'm happy to. I was waiting. I was always waiting. Like, what am I going to learn about avocados? And then he's going to make me want to go buy avocados and I'll have avocado toast tonight for dinner. There you go. (laughs) So yeah, that's a great exercise. I mean, I think, so the point of that being you're thinking on your feet, to recap, you're thinking on your feet, you're engaging your mind in a different way. Would you expand on that then? You know, giving that in front of a mirror, maybe recording like a, a loom video of yourself, an easy, quick playback video? Would that be a good expansion of that exercise? Absolutely, Jeff. I I think the easiest way to keep this simple is how many people in your industry, because this is how I think about it, right? Top 1% communicate in your industry. So it's not about comparing yourself to Tony Robbins. It's about figuring out what business you're in, what industry you're in, and what what are people doing in that industry? Let me give you a simple one that I teach all the time. Accountants. How many accountants are willing to do the random word exercise 100 times? The answer gets really small, really fast. That's like, oh, maybe, let's be super optimistic and say 2%. That's super optimistic. What about a thousand times? Thousand times is probably 0.0001%. So it's not even about video or doing it this way or that way, just output. Like who's willing to walk every day for three years? Very little people can do that. So we don't even worry about the diet plans. So it's the same thing with this. If you do this five times a day, which takes five minutes, and you do it for a little over six months, let's say seven, you'll have done the exercise a thousand times. It's just most people aren't willing to do it. So what's the message, Jeff? The message is we don't get points on how well we do the exercise. We get points on how many times we choose to do it. So my advice would be Find the easiest way to implement this, which I found from coaching hundreds of people on this, Jeff. The easiest way to do this is to actually do this with your children if you have any. That's the easiest way to integrate this in your life, where during dinner, when you're picking them up to and from school, or when you're in the shower, you got 10 minutes there when there's nobody there. That's when you can integrate this in your life without ever taking any extra minutes of of your time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, what you just shared there dials in on uh, it's the Bruce Lee quote, right? It's, I, I fear the man not with 10,000 kicks, but with one kick practiced 10,000 times. I might have butchered that with punch or kick. You get the point. Um, and really, I think it's, it's about doing the work, right? Which is a cliched statement anymore. Uh, you know, being consistent is a cliched statement anymore. But when you break it down like that to say, practice your avocado speech or your random haircut speech for 60 seconds 
a thousand times. When you break it down, do it in the shower, do it driving to work, do it, do it in a moment in between meetings um, with your children. Yeah, I mean, that's how you get there. And, and you, I guess just by that exercise alone, if you're an accountant looking to speak to other accountants, you're in that top 1%, right? Is that, is that where we're getting with this? That's correct. And, and it's, it's the whole idea behind, yes, it is hard work, but it's actually not that hard, right? It's, it's you wake up every day for five minutes, you do it. And then eventually, that's just one example of three though. So there's two other drills I'll teach as well. But that's just one example to say, when I'm willing to do more than 99% of my industry, I'll get the results in my life that 99% of my industry just won't get. And that's why I stand out when I do the random word exercise because I've done it 3,000 times. Like I don't know a lot of coaches in my industry, in my own field, who are willing to do it as many times as I have. So I'm able to develop thought leadership that most people won't even think about in my industry. So it's just the same analogy applied across the board. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think let's take a little bit of a left turn in our conversation when we say, you know, this is hard work. I mean, practicing, you know, working on your, your communication skills and the manner that you just expressed five times a day, 60 seconds at a time, that's not really hard work, okay? Hard work is being a, uh, somebody working on a crop farm, bending over at the waist 10 hours a day in the blistering sun, that's hard work. You know, uh, working construction, pouring concrete, that's hard work. I think people listening should kind of reframe their mind a little bit to say, I have the opportunity to do my work in the shower, speaking with my kids in, in a break at work, right? Like that's, that's not really hard work. It's, it's that, it's that reframe of, Oh, I don't have to go do this. I get to do this. This happens for me because at the end of it, I'm improved. I'm in that top 1%. Well said, Jeff. I love the way you defined that as well. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I think we, you know, my my eighteen year old son is. Um, he was never at in. I, he's, I'm not saying anything he hasn't heard right from my mouth, or that we haven't spoke about. But he is not a book learning kid. College was not a path for him. And you know, he uh, got into the trades, construction trades, and he's learning what hard work is. You know. Uh, I've told him I've worked hard at achieving success for our family, but I never told him that that was all hard work. Um, he's learning what hard work is right now. Um, you know, he's learning it and he's fixing to learn even more because it's getting cold now and the work's done outside. And so, and you know that you're from Montreal, so you know what cold's like up there. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So let's jump into, uh, jump into your second point of, um, Let's talk about sharing ideas. You know, what, you know, obviously people have great ideas, um, some better than others. But if it's a great idea to you and you're passionate about it, you know, it can be amazing. Like there's a friend of mine who patented something for roofing contractors, like the most mundane thing you could probably think of in the moment right now. And yet this gentleman is living an amazing life retired early, still working, but like enough money to retire, like retire, retire and have boats and have summer houses and have a lot of fun. Um, so that was an idea, right? Uh, that maybe on the surface, it's not changing things. You know, we're not curing cancer as an example for, you know, world, world uh, improvement. But 
boy, in the, in the realm of uh, the roofing industry, that was a tremendous improvement. So everybody's got great ideas. So, so why is it so important that people can properly communicate these? Absolutely, Jeff. So um, amazing story, by the way. Thanks for sharing that. Kudos to him and, and his success. You know, what I would say is that for me, when it comes to ideas, the first step that we need to consider is what's in it for other people. What's in it for the people that we're trying to speak our ideas to? And the reason why it's so important for us to communicate it in a way that everyone understands it, gets it, is because you don't know who's going to be able to help push your vision, your idea forward. So that's why I tell business owners or people who have ideas or visionaries that every day is a pitch. But not in the sense of you're formally giving a PowerPoint presentation. When you're at a bar, you're at a party, you're at an event, and somebody goes, hey, Jeff, what do you do? What are you working on? How are you answering those questions? And that's really the key, is you never know which party you'll go to, which key employee or key investor or key playmaker that you'll meet in your journey. But if people don't understand what you do, they can't help you. So that's the second piece. So now in terms of the advice, this is the advice I always share to help people communicate innovative ideas. The best way to explain the future is to communicate the past and why it's no longer relevant. When Steve Jobs first introduced the iPhone, he didn't just present the iPhone, he compared it to the BlackBerry. And he specifically said, these type keyboards on your phone it's not going to work. And the reason it's not going to work is because it takes up too much of the screen. So it removes a lot of functionalities that a smartphone can have. And that's why we're introducing the iPhone. It's a better, more tactile experience than ever existed before. So notice what I'm doing here. I'm not just explaining the future, but I'm also meeting people where they're at today in the present. Brilliant. Let's use an Absolutely. Let's you use just, another... You just, oh, jump I'm just going to interject. You just took me back to when I had Blackberries in my phone. Or in my hand. And like, right. I loved my BlackBerry back in the day. But you're 100%. I didn't know that, that Jobs explained it that way. Um, but you're 100% right. When you said it reveals more than the screen, I realized, yeah, 100%. Sorry to interject, but like, you just tapped in like, and you said it's, it's about what's in it for me. It's what's in it for the person listening that taps into that emotional, and I had that like almost that emotional tactile connection like it was in my hand. Brilliant. Love it. I'm sorry to interject. No, no, no. You're totally fine, Jeff, because that, that reaffirms it from your side as well. Exactly. Right. And then an even simpler example is Netflix. Before I jump into Netflix, one thing I'll say is that the reason the strategy is so effective is because as visionaries, we need to be empathetic. Because being a visionary implies that we see a vision of the future that nobody else sees. So it's dumb of us to assume, quite frankly, that everyone will immediately get it when we start explaining our idea to them. They don't see the vision that we see. In the same way, I saw something with MasterTalk, you saw something with Big Ticket Life, or all the other successful businesses that you started and were successful in. So it's our job, it's our responsibility as visionaries to actually bring everyone else along. And that's a responsibility that I think visionaries do not take seriously enough. Let's jump into Netflix. I think that will resonate. It's pretty much all of us listening to the show are subscribed to it. Sure. Did Reed Hastings, the founder and CEO of, of Netflix, did he revolutionize streaming technology? Absolutely. Did he invent new ways of designing the user experience of Netflix's platform? Sure. 
Did he invest hundreds of millions of dollars into production and TV shows? Sure. But is that why people subscribe to Netflix? No. Not at all. The way that Reid pitched it is the following. Are you tired of going to Blockbuster? Taking your car out? Spending money on gas to go to a near store, wait 15 minutes in line, and realize that when you get into the store, that your favorite movie has already been taken by somebody else. You have to take a second-rate movie, and then when you take that movie, you wait in line, and then you forget to return the movie, so you get late fees too. But you know what's great about Netflix? You don't even have to leave your house. You have unlimited amount of TV shows and movies, and... Forget cable that's $80 a month. This is $10 a month. What do you say? And everyone raises their hand. And that's the key. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, tremendous, tremendous value proposition built on the emotion of, yeah, driving across town. I mean, I got out of motorcycle riding because driving around my town, I was putting the li- my life in the hands of other people. I think sometimes people forget it. It's just dangerous to get out there on the road. So that's another emotional connection at times, right? To burn people in. Uh, yeah, I love it. Um, there's a book, just just as a little right turn in the conversation. Uh, Patty McCord wrote the book. She was early on with Netflix. I can remember her name, but I can't remember the title of the book. Do you know it? I know who you're talking about, the person who ran culture at Netflix, but I, I yes. don't know what the title of the book is. Yeah. Mm, yeah, it was a red book with like white letters. And... Um, Anyway, maybe Chris can find it for us, but fantastic book because that book was really all about the um, the bridging of Netflix from DVDs in the mail, okay, which you knew, you didn't get late fees if you didn't return it, but you also didn't get your you didn't get your next one um, either if you didn't powerful. That's the book. There it is. Yeah, you didn't get your um, you didn't get your next one if you didn't return the first one. So it wasn't so much fees as it was we're we're going to trust you to hold on to your DVD for a certain time, and then when you send it back, we send you your next one. So there's always still buying it. Um, and if you didn't return it, then you get, then you bought it basically. But that book is great because it's it's about culture, but it's also about pivot. You know, major moments of pivot and evolution in a company and how. It was bridged. I mean, at that point, they were a very big company, you know, and, you know, talking about bandwidth and user experience with tangible things to on demand. I mean, I've got a, I mean, it's amazing where that's gone. This little remote here for my monitor screen, this is a smart TV that I use as a monitor, but it's got a pre-programmed in. I mean, that's like the ultimate, isn't that the ultimate business destination where you have other products and services programming in your stuff? Absolutely. And, and then the other point that I'll build on, on Patty's book and, and your thought leadership there, Jeff, is the point around, you know, how Reid have to shift the company from all of those executives being ops executives. They're all in operations, right? Because they're managing supply chains for the DVDs. And he has to pretty much fire 80% of that executive team, which is insane, and go towards streaming. So it's, you need as a leader, going back to your questions around leadership at the beginning, you need to be able to convey that vision over and over again and think about those objections to keep people and retain the right people with you. And I think Reed Hastings and, and the team at Netflix has done an incredible job at that. There's not a lot of people 
in, in the Valley or just in general in the last 25 years who had to pivot that many times to still be relevant today. And I think Reed's the best example for sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. You know, when you when you brought up, you know, visionaries should be reminded or aware of that position of empathy that when you're communicating an idea, it's like the operations guys at C-suite at Netflix. When you're communicating an idea, uh, intelligent people, either consciously or subconsciously, are going to understand this is going to upset me. This is going to change my life in some way, maybe even leave me out of a job. Um, really, uh, to, to kind of build on what I'm learning from you in the moment right here, this is, for, for visionaries listening to this, this is about really another book, Who Moved My Cheese, right? You're moving somebody away from their comfort zone. You're moving somebody away from what they're familiar with through the vision. And even though it's a great vision, I think this circles back to my beginning uh, uh, opening remarks of, hey, I feel like at times I'm speaking a different language. People aren't listening. It's because does this mean if visionaries aren't empathetic and aren't set up right in the conversation, people hearing this new vision, this new idea are really thinking about how's this going to affect me? How's this going to upset my day? Is this going to mean more work? Am I going to lose my job? Am I going to have to train other people? Is that, is that what's happening in, in their minds? Absolutely, Jeff. And that also leads us to exercise number two, which ties into everything we talked around visionaries, and they don't do it enough. The question is, I mean, rather the exercise is called question drills. We get asked questions all the time in our life, Jeff. On a podcast, on a show, at home, at work, on a sales call. But a lot of us are reactive to those questions. We're not proactive. We wait for the question to come up and we go, uh, yeah, that's the answer. I'll give you a funny example. When I started guesting on podcasts three years ago, I sucked. I remember some guy asked me the following question. He said, Brendan, where does the fear of communication come from? And I look at the guy and I say, uh, I don't know, dude, Los Angeles? You tell me. <laughs> so I didn't have a great answer because I was reactive, not right. proactive. So what did I do differently, which ties into this conversation well? Every single day, Jeff, I asked myself one question for five minutes a day that I thought the world would ask me about my expertise, my products or services. So the first day, where does the fear of communication come from? Day two, what's my advice for introverts? Day three, how do I overcome my fear of communication? And every single day, I just did that until I had an answer for everything. But if you do that for five minutes a day for a year, that's all I ask you'll have answered 365 questions about your business and your expertise, and you'll be bulletproof and not enough visionaries poke enough holes into their own ideas. Yep. I can give you, I can give you one very painful example of that, expense-wise. Expense so I had this grand idea to um, private label a CBD lavender salve and a whole line of CBD products uh, around sleep for the retail mattress store business that I call on. Um, and uh, it's cool and all. It, all the stuff works. It doesn't job. Uh, our whole team used it. We had good trial tests with customers. The one thing I didn't think about, the one question I didn't ask myself is, is there any legal compliance with this stuff? How's Google going to feel about it? How's your credit card processor going to feel about it? I mean, I knew CBD shops needed that. Like, I knew like... Um, CBD shops and, and marijuana dispensaries need the licenses, but I didn't ask that question. And we launch it, and within 48 hours, our merchant processing is shut down and our AdWords account is suspended. 
My God. <laughs> and as a retail business, processing a tremendous amount of revenue through a credit card machine, that was very bad. So it was an immediate 180 um, because I didn't ask that question about this product, you know, and my, and my personal belief system and the way I personally operate in businesses, I try to stay as far away from the federal alphabet agencies as possible. Like the IRS is, is compulsory. We all have to, you know, do that one. But like, I can choose to not be in franchising and stay away from SEC. I can choose to, um, you know, not do things that involve the FTC, like dispensaries have to worry about, or, or I guess that's USDA. But there you go. See, I'm so confused as to how many there are and what. That's I mean, I, I stay. That's why I stay away. You know, because it's my appetite for for that kind of a that kind of oversight and compliance and federal forms and things like that. But uh, I love the question drill. So, so to kind of recap so far, so five minutes a day, we're practicing uh, speaking concisely, just picking a random word and talking about a haircut. We're doing that with our children, with our spouse, by ourselves in the shower, on the way to work. That moves us into the 1%. One question a day, talking through it five minutes, 365 days a year. Is that a 1% action? That's correct. The only thing I would change, just to make sure we're all on the same page. So it depends what industry you're in. So if you're like in the mattress mm. business, definitely. I, I definitely think that you're moving towards the 1% because I don't see a lot of them investing in their communication. But if you want to be a professional speaker, there's obviously a lot of other things we can talk about that are probably harder right. to implement for somebody who's new in the journey. But but yes, absolutely. Or at least 5%, you're definitely doing something consistently that most people aren't. Another way to put this out, especially with exercise number three, which is simply sending video messages to your customers, your clients, the people that you really appreciate in your life. 20-second gratitude, and there's only one rule to the video. You're not allowed to retake the video. That's it. You just got to open your phone and send it. So if you do these three things, the one thing I will say, Jeff, I've worked with hundreds of people in my seven-year career thus far, and I haven't met one person who is already doing all three of these consistently without ever talking to me or hearing a conversation of me on a podcast talking about Mm. these three things. So do I think you'll necessarily make the top 1%? It really depends on your industry, but I'm fairly confident you'll be better than most people in your industry. Let's put it that way. Well, yeah, I mean... A hundred percent. I mean, again, the cliched statement of of doing the work consistently, adopting one of these things, I think moves you into the the eighty percent of people will never do this. Twenty percent of people might begin. Out of that group of twenty, eighty percent won't stick with it. You're in that twenty percent if you stick with one, um, which means you're four out of a hundred. Um, so, yeah, uh, really great. Um, really really great uh actionable stuff here i love it um so when we look at so these are these are exercises right it's really what this is what we're talking about here are there tools in like somebody who wants to communicate effectively in that speaker's toolbox like what tools well you know obviously their voice but like what corresponds with that are there tools to communicate properly yeah, absolutely, Jeff. So these three are definitely the most important. So which brings me to ball four, 
So there's like 18 balls here, but we won't cover all 18 today. So be too overwhelming <laughs> people. But let's say ball four, and then and then I'll explain ball five. So ball four is is more of a, a public service announcement for the team. The best way to speak is to speak. If you want to get the results from listening to this podcast, investing 39 minutes of your life today, the most important thing you need to do before we move on to ball five is you want to book 15 minutes in your calendar every single day to do these three things. Because if you're not willing to do these three things, ball five and beyond is irrelevant, right? The best way to speak is really to speak. You can hear me talk all day, but it's not going to help you. And Jeff too, you can hear me talk all day, but it's not going to help you get the results that you're looking for in your life. So I encourage you to book that time off so you can practice that consistently. So that's ball four. Ball five is a strategy I teach on how to practice presentations effectively and efficiently, Jeff, called puzzle. You know, jigsaw puzzles, those uh, toys we used to play as kids. I'm sure you're probably doing that with your kids in some way, shape or another. So here's the, here's the million dollar question for you, Jeff. And don't worry, it's an easy one. If you were working on a jigsaw puzzle, which pieces do you start with first and why? I start with the corners first and I build inward. Exactly. And why is that? Because uh, it gives you, uh, I always tell my boys, it kind of gives you the, the anchor of the puzzle. Good foundation. Excellent. 10 out of 10. I completely agree. I love the way you explained it. I never heard that explanation before, but I love, I love the way you framed it. That's correct. And the other piece is that they're easier to find in the box and they got the little edge thing, so they're easier to put together. But here's the thing. Why am I bringing up puzzles, Jeff? The reason is because in communication, we do the opposite, unfortunately. We start with the middle first. We shove a bunch of content in our presentation. Mm. We get to the presentation. We ramble throughout the whole thing. Even if it's a $10 million deal, shocks me how many successful people still do this. And then the last slide sounds something like this. Uh, yeah. So, um, thanks. And they, they mess up the ending. <laughs> so for me, communication has always been about how do we practice like a jigsaw puzzle? Start with the edges first. Do your introduction 50 times. Not three times. Not 10 times. Do it 50 times. 50 seems like a big number, but it actually isn't because your introduction is like a minute or two. It's taking like 50 minutes to do this. Same thing. With the close, what's a great movie with a terrible ending? Last time I checked, terrible movie. Same thing with the close. You do the same thing 25 to 50 times. Let's say you did 25 times. Forget 50. Let's say you did 25. That's 25 minutes of your life. And then tackle the middle. And if you have that structure, your practice is going to be super optimized. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. You know, Your analogy, great movie with a, a bad ending. I think that could be taken to... Uh... Uh, great television series and, you know, Game of Thrones didn't practice your advice. Season eight, terrible close. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Season I one. say that when it was, when it was releasing, I'd say that all the time. Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I love that. Um, love that, uh, that little in part there um, of knowledge about practicing the close. Cause it's, it's really what I've taught the folks that I work with. I call, I call it bookends, right? Like if, you're, if your greeting isn't solid and if you don't have an identified path to ask for the sale and you, you, know, you don't have those things in between to open and close, if you don't have them, you're really lost because what happens in the middle is almost irrelevant. 
And I tell people like, this is where you as a leader, your teams, they want to, you know, they want to be rock stars. They want to be divas. I don't want to follow a script. Okay. Tr let, let's work together and trust one another to have really great bookends. And you can, you can weave and bob in the middle, but we've got to execute on the open and on the close. Um, we absolutely have to agree on that. And if we can't, that's where you're really going to struggle in the system in this business. Um, because if we can't open and close, uh, we're really lost. I love that puzzle analogy. Really like that a lot. That's very helpful. So I've enjoyed our time. And, you know, this is my show. And this might seem like an abrupt hit the brakes or step on the accelerator. Either way, uh, I'm a massive fan of Alex and Filippo and Podmatch. And no one is paying me to say this um, at all. Um, but what we've shared here today, uh, people can tap into your greatness along with some other really smart people. Um, next week, is it, right? The 20th? I've, that's correct. Yeah. So that's next week. I should, I should say, in case you're catching this on audio or watching this video later, October 20th, 2022, right? Key, keys to effective communication. Say the right date. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> say the date that people can understand. Um, no, I'm a fan of, of what the Podmatch world has created. Um, uh, it affords me a lot as a host and even as a guest on shows. That's how we met. Um, so talk about this event that you're a part of called it's the pod pros q4 virtual event talk about what you're going to bring to that and there's some other great names that are a part of it so share with everybody listening what that's all about yeah absolutely jeff super grateful to have had this opportunity i'm a big fan of alex's work he's awesome i've definitely gotten a lot of value from pod match as well as the service i super recommend and I'm, I'm super grateful for all of that so how pod pros works is there's an event every quarter with some of the top speakers on the planet in the podcasting industry and they all teach different items. So Pat Flynn will be the closing keynote for for this quarter. And we also have like Grant Baldwin, who will be teaching people how to land paid speaking engagements through podcasting. And the, the topic I'll be covering is really how to be a top 1% podcast guest, how I've been able to book over 500 interviews and counting, and why people trust me on their shows, and what are the strategies from a communication perspective that I'm implementing as a podcast guest to really stand out from any other person being interviewed so that I just get booked on more shows without having to do too much cold outreach. That's what my topic will be about. Very good. Yeah, and I think, you know, uh, not to make this a crass commercial, but, you know, listen, I'm a sales guy at heart. We, we gave you 45 minutes of really actionable stuff, right? Yeah, it's a small fee. I think it's like 50 bucks to, to attend. Like okay, it's not big. Um, and, and if that's a big number to you right now and you're into podcasting, you're into speaking, find a way to pay for it because what Brendan has just shared, you're getting like eight other smart people, really smart people. Brendan's really smart. You're getting a lot for that value. And if that's a, if that's a number that's a little more difficult for you right now, find a way to make it happen. Because uh, I would say you need it more than somebody like myself who's going to attend for those you know slight edge moments to improve my game. Um, but this podcasting medium, as we kind of looked around third base on our time together, you know, uh, I know our producer, Chris, uh, Chris Stone, who does, uh, you know, Brendan, you commented, if I may share, you love the production value, what we do here. 
Um, Chris at Cast Ahead does a great job of, of making us look good, give us quality video, things that we can do after the fact with this video. Great job of the audio as well once it hits players. But this medium, you know, this is why it's important to be in, in, a, in a 1% because this medium is so crowded. Anybody, anybody can jump on Spotify and start a podcast for free, right? And, you know, so, so sharpening your, your skills, acquiring skills first and sharpening them second, I guess, really important because if you're going to make this part of your media platform, as I do, uh, I feel it's really important to, to put some time into it. So maybe share some of those things that you've done. Like, what have you learned along the way of being a podcast guest? Uh, do you have a YouTube channel, 11,000 subscribers that you're very proud of? Like, what have you done there along the journey to make your shows great, be a great guest? Yeah, for sure. For sure, man. Happy to share, Jeff. Here, here's the way that I think about it. How committed are you to being a thought leader? You know, I think the biggest mistake a lot of people make with their personal brands is they think about it in days, not decades. And I know it's funny me saying this because I'm obviously not the oldest guy in town here, but that having that 10-year vision is really what helps you build something meaningful. So I told myself when I started Master Talk at the age of at the ripe old age of 22, I said, look, most people in my in my in my sphere of competition. They're 20 years older than me. They got PhDs in communication. So how can I stand out from the crowd? And I realized something really key that most of those experts didn't have, which was practicality and enthusiasm for this industry. A lot of communication is centered around negativity, stress, anxiety, and a lot of the stuff isn't really practical. Whereas I've gotten results for so many people. So I said, if I brought that energy into those conversations, I would be successful, especially on a platform like YouTube, where you can just openly share that information and the best content creator just wins, which I think is awesome because the market just dictates your value. The other piece that I'd recommend people to think about, especially in the perspective of podcast guesting, is you want to say yes more often than you say no. And the reason is because you need to practice when you get those big opportunities. Like last week, I was I was very fortunate to be a guest on my the biggest show of my career by like 10 miles. But because I practiced on hundreds of podcasts, even if they were sports shows, I don't know anything about sports, I'd still get on because they wanted to have me on. I said, sure. Or just random right. topics just to practice because I wanted to be the best in my industry. So when I got on that podcast, I shredded it. And that's really the mindset that I think people don't have in this space. They just expect to, A, get those big opportunities, which don't necessarily happen. And B, when they get them, just crush it and assume they do a great job. And I think both of those assumptions are incorrect. Like if your goal is to be on Joe Rogan, you should prepare as if every single host who's interviewing you is Joe Rogan. And when you have that mindset, you'll outpace your competition any day of the week. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of folks right now trying to... uh either mimic in some way that the Joe Rogan show, whether that's being a guest or being a host. And it's, it's, uh, it takes some thought and takes a lot of skill to be very entertaining for three hours at a clip with no notes, you know, no, you know, no, uh, no advanced prep, put it that way, um, to have an entertaining show. I think you really touched on something. Think days, think not in days, but think decades. And too many people think days. I think it's way too easy. They grab their phone. You know, and, and technology is affording us this, right? 
uh, one of my uh, mentors in business, Ryan Stuman, just leveled up his game. You know, everybody in the influencer guru space, and I'm not saying this in a bad way, but, you know, they've all got Instagram accounts that all got cell phones. They're all able to take photos in cool places, cool cars, cool houses, you name it. Uh, what he's begun to do is he has a whole media team behind him because really social media is kind of voyeuristic, right? We're peering into people's lives. Uh, so he's now began to frame everything that he does with somebody else taking the picture. And it's just a different level of separation. But that, that he got to that point because he was thinking in years and decades, not days and months. You know, um, another example that I think you'll enjoy, uh, a marketing mentor and friend of mine, Dan Kennedy, who's 40 years in the consultants, but you know the name. Okay, great. Um, I'm now participating in a little miniature master, master class of his that was sold only through his private newsletter. Okay. Not through Russell Brunson's purchase of his intellectual property, which by the way, Dan got paid for again when the company and his name and IP got sold again when Russell Brunson bought it. But he sold this masterclass at like 5,500 bucks a clip to 40 people through his paid newsletter because we're all such connected and engaged fans. That's a decades move. Like that's powerful. You know, they're like, when we're talking about top 1%, I mean, 200 grand in a year for a speaker, does that put you in a top 1% or five, maybe 5% number? So I'm not 100% sure on that. But one thing I will say is definitely a Dan, a Dan I'm a huge fan of as well. I've, I've seen him speak multiple times at Funnel Hacking Live. He's, a, he's a definitely oh, an cool. OG in the yep. space. But, yep. I, but I think what I will say is I don't really categorize top 1% through money. I think that's the way I would see it. That's never the metric I'd kept in mind. I think for me, the way that I define top 1%, even if money is obviously an important piece, because the number will just change based on the industry that you're in. I would say it's more in the sense of what are you willing to do in your industry that most people aren't? That's really the key. So if you're willing to do things that most people aren't, you'll just get the results that most people don't have. And that comes play to keep it easy for today. And I'll, I'll go through harder things later. But things like random word, question drills, sending video messages. Most people don't do that consistently enough. I sent 100 video messages last week, dude. 100 of them. Because I wanted to go to my hundred. Well, it's not something to be. Doing. I mean, I'm supposed to. I'm the expert. I better. I better preach what I what I teach, right? I better do it. Well, congratulations, right. because there's still few that do that. Right. That's the thing. But and the reason is because they're promoting my free training. So I go to my top hundred promoters and I'm sending them video message. Hey, thanks okay. for doing that. Yeah. That's what creates the advantage. But the point that I want to drive is then there's other levels to this game, right? So for example, communication goal setting, communication vision setting, a lot of things that people don't really talk about. And that's what really puts you in, in a category of one, frankly, because most people don't do that at all. Yeah, yeah. Love it. Um, and I like, you know, ball number three, we're almost wrapped up on our time. I want to be respectful of your time because you're a very busy individual, which is easy to see and hear. But I think one thing that we could circle back to on ball number three about sending those video messages, it's really what you're doing is from a human level, you're practicing gratitude, which in 2022, as we're in Q4 approaching 23, some people already have their plans laid out. I'm working on them. Uh, I think put that into your daily routine, just as, just as Brendan said, 
hundred times last last week. It's ingrained in his schedule. He's practiced gratitude. And yeah, those promoters are giving him something, but I bet you, you talk category of one, I bet you there's not too many people showing up in their inbox saying thanks uh, the way Brendan is. So anything to add on? So let me ask you this. What have you seen, not that you practice gratitude to get anything, but it happens. So what have you seen when it does happen that just kind of blew your mind when you were able to kind of connect the dots back to that moment of gratitude? Absolutely, Jeff. So there's two parts to that. One is a quote that I love to share that I haven't yet. So I think it's good for people to write down because it simplifies all of this. If you communicate 20% better than your industry, you will stand out 100% of the time. So it's not about doing the big things. It's about doing the small things so consistently over time that you just eventually outpace everyone else. So it's not about sending your clients a Lamborghini. It's about buying a $5 birthday hat, putting it on your head. And when it's in their birthday, you open your camera and you say, what's up? Guess whose birthday it is? That, that costs nothing. But it's what helps you stand out. Right from your competition, which is even something I'm talking about. I haven't even implemented that. We're implementing that now because I just had the idea like 30 days ago. But that's the point, right? Is that's the key. It's what are those little things that most people aren't doing that allows us to get the results? Can you remind me what the other question was? Yeah, was there has there been something that's come along your way as a result of practicing gratitude that you oh. can connect back to that moment? Um, even if it isn't like you weren't told you know, outright, but you, you got a hunch like this connection to that connection, now this action and reward. First sure, practice absolutely. and gratitude. Absolutely. You know, I think gratitude is a big thing. I think the reason I have trouble answering this question is just because it's just my way of life. Like, I don't really see it as, oh, you know, if I do this, I'll get that. Even if that wasn't the intention either behind your question. I think it's, it's more around just the way that I am. You know, if you just yep. add more value than everyone else, you'll eventually get more. But there is one caveat that I'll add that I think most people don't think about, which is you actually can't keep in touch with a lot of people at the same time. Way Dunbar's principle says that you can only really maintain relationships with 150 people, which is honestly optimistic for most of us, which means we get to choose who those 150 people are, Jeff. Mm -hmm. And I encourage all of you to rank the people in your network by a specific order, not by money, not by status, not by follower count, but by simply generosity. So I'm not sending these 100 video messages to everybody because these are all my buddies. They're friends of mine. They're not just like people uh, helping me promote the, the, the training, but just people that I just adore. And those are the people I'm pouring in 10 times more energy to. So one thing I'll add as a caveat as we close this out is generosity is not enough. If you're a generous person, but you give to a bunch of takers, yeah, sure, you might get a little bit of karma from it, but you won't get a lot. I think the smartest thing to do is to be generous to very generous people. Because if you do that strategically, not only does it selfishly benefit you, but it motivates you to keep giving even more. So now I've gotten to a place in my career, like you have, Jeff, I'm pretty much like a thousand percent sure, where now you get to be selective about who you talk to, who you build a relationship with. So now the only people on that list are super generous people. So it always comes back to you without you even having to think about it. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Great way. Great high note to close out our show. That practice of gratitude, that practice of generosity, and really looking at, you know, looking at that 150 number. Because I think if we were to look at our friends list on Facebook, 
the followers on Instagram, you know, really dial in like what's that number you can impact? Um, because that's what we're here to do. And I love it. I love that we ended there. Brandon, this has been a joy. Um, I wish you nothing but amazing success and impact next Thursday. I believe it's next Thursday night, October 20th. Um, I'll be in attendance on that day. I just think it's actually throughout the day. But podpros.com slash attend. That's where you go to get that. Connect more with Brendan and other amazing people. Man, this has been so fun. I'm glad we finally got on the calendar today to come together. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. All right, we'll see you next week on Big Ticket Life. Take care. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of The Big Ticket Life. You've heard from another amazing guest living their own Big Ticket Life, and now it's time to live yours. First, I'd love for you to take me up on my free gift to you. Claim your gift at gift.thebigticketlife.live. That's gift.thebigticketlife.live. See, all your life you've been told what is and what isn't possible by the loudest voices from the cheapest seats. It's time to finally do life and business on your terms. Sure, you've heard similar things, but without clarity on what can be done, it's easy to have your customers, employees, maybe even partners, and your spouse keep you from truly living a big ticket life. My big ticket methods shift you into that investor seat, in your business, away from commodity and away from competition, into a market of one, so you can finally live your own big ticket life. So my gift to you is for you to book your discovery call today where we'll uncover first the Chivo behaviors, those chief everything officer behaviors that hold you back and why moving into the investor seat in your own business is critical. Two, we'll uncover the premium position that's up for grabs right now in your market that you're missing out on. And three, which big ticket methodologies are just waiting to be dropped into your business to explode your sales and profits. So again, thanks for listening to this episode. I'd love for you to take action right now. Accept this gift. Book your call. Go to gift.thebigticketlife.live. Again, that's gift.thebigticketlife.live.